Recording in progress. Okay. It's going to be a great time. Oh, boy. Okay. Does that sound interesting? Damn, I look so good. Right, let's just wait. You ready? Four hours later. Dear tech. Oh, laughing hurts. Cut. First off, to start, to give everyone some context, I want to know how you two know each other. And your your background. I know it's been a while. I know you have some history. Sure. Um, so <laughs> yeah. Kubo and I are cousins. I'm actually not sure if we're actually cousins, but Sorry. growing up on the East Coast, I grew up in yep. Maryland and uh Shubo grew up in Jersey. Um, our family have been friends and known each other since they were kids back in India. So they're like kind of hometown friends. Um, there are a lot of the same culture and, you know, back in those days, I didn't have a lot of, um, family or even people that we knew, uh, kind of in the region. That's actually kind of still true. Um, but so we would always kind of go to visit them and vice versa. Um, so like definitely had like the closest to like a cousin, like relationship. I don't, honestly, out of all of the, um, people that I grew up with on the East coast, I think Shibuan is like the closest cousin that I have. Um, I don't know. We spend a lot of time together, and uh, no, no hope they all watch it. Watch I will send it individually <laughs> to all of them. Oh um, no! But I'm his favorite. I'm his favorite. Well, you know, the reality is like let me hedge it a little bit, right? The reality is like is like we grew up the closest to each other, yeah. and well, I think and we, we spent the most choice. time together. Like our parents like, liked oh, each yeah. other, right? Like our it wasn't personalities a lot. Being honest, right? Like, yeah. like I. So it's not that he actually enjoys your company. No, so it's fun. just based on circumstances. Well, <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true. And Shubal also somehow managed to be like kind of like I would always get into like arguments with my brother, and that he would be like the arbiter, kind of uh, able to like you know yeah, come I, in I between like, and they, kind they, of they screw would drive three and a half hours to get up here in a car together, playing you know Pokemon on their phone, and they'd have like fights about like who'd have the because they had like the back in the day we didn't have like light up screens, so you'd have the light, and it's like I think they had one that they'd share. Or something, um, but oh, like, yeah, and the yeah, thing yeah. was, so it's funny because yesterday I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna ask how you guys met." And I'm like, "We didn't have a choice. Our like, w- like we were born, and people came over to our homes with little people in their hands. Like we didn't really get to pick." Um, but they would, and so my house, so I, so I lived in an apartment at the time, and there's nothing to do. So they would bring their PlayStation, and that is the only way I got to play PlayStation growing up. We'd play Tony Hawk Pro Skater like two or something. Um, that's it. That, and Pokemon on on place on the Game Boy, um, but yeah, that's that's how we know each other. And then, um, but yeah, no. But then you know, and then Sanjeet was always like, is. our age difference isn't that great. But in our culture, it's like when someone's older or younger, you get like it's like a big deal. Like his older brother is, I think, like a couple of years older than me, and like I still have to call him Big Bro. I told Sanjeet not to call me that anymore uh, in oh. in our language because I didn't want to. I'm older. Uh, I think by two so and a half years ish, right? Um, but okay. back then, even though it's two, just two and a half years, like I was a big brother. Like I was like the, cause in, in India, like cousins are brothers, whatever, same difference. Um, and so it was like, yeah, like, you know, I would try to be the arbiter, but sometimes I make him cry. Like it was, it was, a uh, it, it was a lot of, it was a lot of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is true. That is true. I've, I've lacked no, but it was, that. it was really cool. It was, yeah. Right. I worked out some um, childhood no, it was, trauma it really today. Cool. And then he got older and he, and I realized, oh, oh my gosh, Lord. he's actually a pretty cool young adult person. Um, and so we just kept uh, keeping in touch and stuff, but because because you know we all have cousins that we we they exist. Yeah. We see them once a year, and 
maybe not that and that's it but yeah um and then yeah so that's how we that's how we know each other yeah right love that that's so sweet you've got all the dirt on each other i don't know it's it's weird you know we also like compartmentalize our lives like i feel like our family life and our family life are very different but anyway going down a rabbit hole that i i don't know if i want to go down um but 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 i will say that growing up this is this is true about him though like he was always about the tech i think his whole family for some to to some, some extent is about the tech um, but I think also growing up in an immigrant household as children, we had no choice. Yeah, cool. that's what I was gonna. That's what Coding I was gonna jump to. Was, um, so you you I said you, you learned how to code at ten. Uh, as a te- like why as a ten year old, what drew you to coding as a ten year old? So I like there... how you also said. Sorry to interrupt you real quick. I like how you also said self proclaimed. You were like, I'm self proclaimed coding at ten. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not recorded history. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, there, so there's some of the history behind this, which actually even I didn't learn until later on in my life, which is that um, my dad, when he emigrated to the U.S., uh, he was a grad student studying petroleum engineering, uh, not a like, you know, yes related or some programming related field. But kind of as soon as he came to the U.S., he was kind of looking for like a, like sidekicks and things like that for himself. And he realized like, you know, that the tech industry, even back in the late seventies, early eighties was like really exploding. And this is like, we're talking about people who like want to code in like COBOL and RPG and like things that we laugh at today. Like he used to like learn those things and then teach them to other people. So he'd always like really into computers. And for me growing up, like my dad used to, at the time he worked for the government and they used to have a ton of like excess, like surplus um computers lying around you know eventually like do like hardware refresh something and he would just bring them home so we would have all of these computers it, just do we need to cut that part around out? <laughs> sorry I was, I was like do we need to cut that part out the government computers home from the government <laughs> um i mean i think it was in that during that yeah. time was acceptable yeah yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> just want to make sure you're good <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes they actually used to do like like surplus sale where you could just buy a computer for like $10 and take it home where it's already fully depreciated and like, you know, they have no use for this thing anymore. Um, I think today they may be a little more. Yeah. (laughs) But but you don't bring these things home. And if you even go to my parents' basement today, what you'll find is a room with like, she was in there, a room with like 10 computers, maybe more than that is the entire room that's all it is mm-hmm. so like it was also like that when i was a kid and so growing up you know we used to have one playstation and even that came kind of later um none of my pe- people in my family are athletic and so you know to like occupy your time sometimes you just go to the basement hell hey dad what are you working on and then your dad's like well check out this thing and then he just like puts you on the computer and you're like poking around with it, seeing what you can do. And like, it's just like a way to like, kind of, you know, pass time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so over time and you kind of realize like, there's so many things you can do with it. I liked like, um, I was a little creative. I learned how to do like um, Photoshop and stuff like that. And I started like building websites. Those are the kinds of things, you know, when you're really um like building websites, like one of the easiest things you can do on a computer. Uh, yeah, right. Speak for yourself. Some people yourself. don't consider it to be code. <laughs> <laughs> But in terms of, in terms of like you know coding or like programming, 
Uh, so like, you know, some people don't even consider programming because it's like so simplistic. But anyway, those are the kind of things that, you know, when you're really young, you can kind of start doing. And then over time, I learned how to build like the backends for stuff like that. And I joined a robotics team when I was in high school. Uh, I was on the programming team. I was on their drive systems team as well. Uh, and just kind of like spend my whole childhood, like education really focused on building stuff, software, hardware, uh, all of that. That's kind of the story. And then, you know, when I went to college, kind of continued those things. And ultimately I realized like being an engineer is, is interesting and there's a lot of cool problems to solve, but at the end of the day in the private sector, being on the business side is really like where you can make a larger scale impact so as an individual. Then th okay, so this is piggybacking because I think you just answered the question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So all this, you know, you're you're so involved and you said you did, you know, the back end of it too, but like coding, you learned again when you were 10 and you probably are really probably good at it now after all these years, but you don't, you're not a coder as a job, right? Why not? I am not a coder. I am nowhere close to as capable as the coders that I work with today. Although at least I could say I like understand how they work and like how the things that the interface would work. Why not? Um, when I was in college, I did an internship at Whirlpool. They make like home appliances. I was in the refrigeration team. Um, if you ever use the ice and water system in a Whirlpool refrigerator, I might have oh, worked wow. on that. Um, and so I really liked the internship. Amazing exposure. It's like my first like engineering internship. Um, but I kind of realized that like everything that I worked on was kind of being directed by the business. And they were like, hey, we need you to go and build this thing. And I was like, man, I want to be the decision maker, not the doer. Um, and I thought, you know, maybe having a technical background kind of help you be the decision maker too. So I tried an internship in consulting, which is something that I had no idea what it was going into undergrad. Uh, I got some exposure to it from some of my friends as, uh, you know, you get, as we we're kind of going through school together, some of them were like really held bent on consulting and recruiting. And I'm like, well, what was this consulting thing? Um, I did the internship. I loved it. Like I liked being in the city. I liked traveling. Uh, I liked learning about different things in a more like broad-based fashion where you're not just looking at like one specific component for six months of your life. Um, and that kind of, kind of took, took me down that path. I was like, do I want to live in like remote Michigan designing a drip tray for a year? Or do I want to live in New York city? and travel to LA every week during the winter time and get the best of both worlds. Um, so that's kind of where I landed. But I will say like at the end of the day, looking today at what the landscape looks like between business folks in the tech world and engineering folks in the tech world, um, there's a lot of merits to both sides. And I still don't know, right? Did I make the right decision there? But who knows, right? So did you, you stepped basically once you graduated from with your bachelor's, you have stayed this whole time in like the consulting business side of tech. Got it. Yep. Okay, cool. Will you tell us a little bit more about what you do today? Uh, yeah. Today, I am a product manager at Amazon. I work in AWS, Amazon Web Services. Uh, and specifically, I have a PM on Amazon EC2, which is 
basically a computer, but in the cloud. <laughs> so we sell computers. Yeah. That's so interesting. What um I feel like obviously Amazon is such like a big brand name, like so many people like it's in such high regard, I think, in the industry for not only obviously so many different avenues of business and so many different business streams from the umbrella company. And then I think just the notoriety, like the technology, the compensation, like there's, I think there's so many reasons why they're held in that regard. What um, do you think led you or what like helped you to getting to where you are now there? Um, are you interested more in motivation or like path? Both. <laughs> Let's do both. <laughs> you can start with whichever one you want. Okay. Uh, okay. So like motivation, I think Amazon is a great place to be a product manager because of the way that Amazon makes decisions. Uh, everyone kind of talks about Amazon using a working backwards approach to product delivery which basically means let's go talk to our customers and see what they actually want. And then we'll go and build that. Great idea, right? Like let's understand the market, see what people are willing to pay, figure out what they need that they can't get today. And then we go make it. And we have amazing engineers who can go and build basically anything you can physically actually do limited by physics. So that's incredible, right? Uh, and that's the Amazon philosophy, which means that as a product manager, you're kind of the voice of the customer. And so you're doing a lot of that like upfront work around understanding what that market is and, and kind of speaking directly to those customers, getting their input, and then able to kind of bring that back to the broader team across engineering and marketing and sales and everyone else that we work with um, and tell them like, these are the things that our customers want. And I mm -hmm. think that on the engineering side, when they see strong adoption and positive feedback from customers saying, hey, this thing is incredible and this is exactly what I was looking for. Um, that gives them a lot of confidence that they're building something amazing. Um, and in that way, I think it also helps me to kind of, as I, so I worked in consulting before. I'm a PM now. I've been a PM for just about a year. It actually would be a year in two days. Um, Congrats. Thanks. I think it's really helped me to kind of think about being a PM in the right way and build the right skills. And what about path? That totally makes sense. And then on the, yeah, path to get there. Path. So before joining Amazon, um, I went to business school. So I was working in consulting. I kind of felt like as someone who came from the world of engineering and, you know, I used to literally like build robots uh, now I'm building slides. I was like, maybe I should try the robot again. Uh, so I thought a good way to do it would be like to go to business school, build up some of the kind of fundamentals that I never really had going into consulting. Um, so that way, you know, when I look at business problems, I'm kind of, I'm starting from a similar foundation. And the other great thing about business school is like, it's such a career focused program that there's a lot of emphasis on like you kind of thinking about what do you actually want out of a career uh, and how can you really get there? So I spent a ton of my time in business school also thinking like, do I, what do I want to do if not consulting? Is it working at a startup? Is it like a bigger tech company? Is it PM? Is it strategy at a tech company? Is it 
mergers and acquisitions over software mm-hmm. companies, like all kinds of different options are out there. Um, and ultimately, like I spent my summer interning at a uh, pre-seed startup called Plural. They recently raised a pretty large seed round. I think they're doing amazingly. Um, so if you haven't heard of them, look them up, plural.se. <laughs> little plug for them love that love you're welcome, that. You're welcome guys uh, <laughs> i spent the summer working there uh had a lot of really great exposure to kind of like what is it like to be in the delivery side of the tech company what is it like to be at a startup at such an early stage where you're really ideating and trying to find that like product market fit um and i kind of felt like you know maybe i could use some time building up my skill set a little bit more because, uh, you know, consulting skill set is, is very helpful for being able to tackle like complex and challenging problems. Um, but if you want to be a PM or someone who like operates in an organization, I think it can be challenging to deliver without really knowing what's the best way to do it. So just a little bit of upscaling. And in a startup, that's especially true, right? Where you're kind of an independent leader and you're leading your own org stream. Like if you don't really know what you're doing, then like... I mean, sure, yeah, you can stumble like five times and then finally get there. But wouldn't it be nice to like learn from someone else the first time mm-hmm. and then you can go and stumble two times instead? That's kind of how I thought about it. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, going back to school second year, uh, I was looking at some couple, couple bigger companies and that's kind of how I ended up choosing Amazon. Hmm. Okay, cool. That makes so, sense. Okay. Frank, go ahead. Um, go, ahead. go ahead. What... Um... Do you feel like are some of the core ben- like pros and cons as an employee working for a startup versus working for like a much more structured, like corporate large organization? I mean, first thing I'll say is like, I think the startup experience varies a lot depending on the size and trajectory and leadership. Mm-hmm. So you can see a lot of different styles. Uh, and even that in itself, I think you can weigh as like the pro versus con where in the larger enterprise, like corporate world, we all kind of know, right? Like what's the culture of Google or Amazon mm-hmm. or Meta? Um, mm-hmm. It's really hard to know up front. What's the culture like going to be like at a startup that was founded last year? You can kind of try to suss it out. But you don't know, right? It can be an incredible culture that you really fit in with and aligns with your motivations, or it can be one that works for some people, but doesn't really work for you. Um, the startup I worked at, it was really early stage. And so it's also a little bit hard to compare there to, I think, because those types of roles are not super common, I would say. You know, typically uh, when you get to like a series B or C is when you start like scaling the business. Um, all that being said, I mean, one of the big differences I noticed is like at the startup that I worked at, um, you have very little data and your role still continues to be very like self-driven. Whereas at Amazon, I mean, we are, we are the data, right? Like we <laughs> operate like, most of the data centers that everyone uses all over the place. You yeah. can see incredible tech trends just by going, logging into like the Tableau dashboard that I use to track the performance of my Amazon EC2 products, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so it's a lot easier to make data-driven decisions. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that everyone that I work with has a ton of experience in the same industry. And so it's a lot easier to get like meaningful feedback and direction 
compared to kind of being out there on your own, testing the waters, trying out different things. Mm. Um, but, and, you know, I mean, the other side of that is like, if you like that kind of stuff uh, and you like the creativity and ideation, then you might be kind of stuck in the ways that a company like Amazon works at a bigger company versus being able to kind of take whatever approach that you want. So I really think it ultimately kind of depends on where your motivations lie and the style of working that you prefer. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Thank you. All right. So I'm, I'm going to jump back a little bit back to your MBA because I, for me, so I'm thinking you had the tech going into the tech experience going into your MBA. So for you, it was, it was more about making that transition more concrete. Am I, am I right in, in saying that? Like that you were going from the, from the mindset and even though in consulting, you're in the business side already, but prior to that, when you went into college, at least you were in the mindset of I'm a builder or a doer ish kind of, and then getting to MBA, you're like, all right, I think I want to be on the business side of things. Is that, is that accurate? Um, not exactly a couple of things. So first, right. Ever since I graduated undergrad, my mom is always asking, when are you going to grad school? You have to go to grad school. I, I mean, I don't know, like, well, if that's something you ever experienced or like, I think it's pretty common among like, you know, Indian families, like, how can you not have a master's degree? What's wrong with you? So my mom was always pushing me to go to grad school. And I just, I was like, if I'm going to go to grad school, it's going to be business school. Um, in terms of like the career impact, while I did think like coming out of consulting, it is possible to get like a job in tech. Um, one, it's a little bit harder to change like your function. So if you're doing like strategy consulting, it's going to be easier to get a job in like a strategy role. Um, and I kind of wanted to explore the product space to get closer to um, engineering and building so that that was one. Uh, and two, like, when you look at someone's resume, you see their education, formal education, you see their formal experience, and you see that they're interested in owning plants or whatever, right? Like some random stuff on the bottom. Um, so there isn't a lot of space, right? To put, I started coding at age 10. I started a technology business at 16. Like there's, there's not really a lot you can kind of color in. And so going back to business school, I think helped to kind of put some tangible things there and actually get like tangible experiences that kind of rounded out to like the internship I did over the summer. They helped a lot to kind of show like the transition from kind of this strategy consulting world to the tech world. Um, and, and when people scan resume, like a lot of times you, I mean, when I scan a resume, I look at what companies did this person work at? Okay. Like um, what role do they have? What did they study in undergrad? Uh, and then I stopped. So if you don't read like the detailed lines, like, oh, this guy managed a ton of developers and built this massive like system, they might not see that. So I think those things also like going back to school and getting something more tangible helped in that and way. And then, um, so then, okay, let's ask a random question. Um, who would you, from coming from a tech background, who would you recommend an MBA program for? And who would you dissuade from taking an MBA program if they're looking at grad school? Hmm. Okay, so those are pretty broad categories. <laughs> <laughs> Who would I recommend? Like a specific an... example. 
Like, who does it benefit and who do you think? Well, it's because, you know, if you look at tech and, and you know, you made a very good distinction in terms of business and, and like and being in the engineering side of things. Um, but an MBA, I would say, recently has become more common in tech. But I feel like even 10 years ago wasn't really common in tech. Right. Um, and so looking at that, I, I feel like the way trends work, it's going to only keep getting more common to the point where people are getting MBAs without knowing why they got MBAs, but they want they want to work in tech and they're like, I'm going to get an MBA. It happens in every field where people just get masters for the sake mm -hmm. of masters. You didn't do that. Your mom said, go to get go to grad school, but you were very methodical. You didn't just say, all right, I'm going to go back to get another engineering, a master's in engineering or, or, or whatever, right? Software, whatever it could have been. So with that thought process in place, um, think of this as your, your chance to stop the dumbass that just wants a, a graduate degree from going to the MBA and not reaching his goals or the person who's really mm -hmm. on the fence to get. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I can too. Well, cause I'm contemplating business school. So right yeah, I'm <laughs> or, or more. Yeah, I'm contemplating business <laughs> Probably school. So more. this is for me. All right. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> okay. Well, so I think coming out from that angle, the, one of the, the first kind of reactions I had to what you said is like in tech, majority of people still don't care about whether you have an MBA or not. And in fact, some companies think it's a bad thing because they're like, oh, this guy has no idea what engineering is. And he just uh, makes like broad based assumptions and tries to push an agenda without actually understanding the underlying business. That's feedback that I've gotten before from like when someone reviews a MBA profile. Um, the flip side is there are some tech companies, and I think Amazon is really big on this, for example, where like MBAs are really valued. So especially I think as you go to like more of the startup space, it's like unlikely that someone's going to see your MBA and actually think of it as I want to hire this person now because he has an MBA. Rather, they want to see what your work experience is like. And so if you can use the MBA as a jumping off point break into tech, then, you know, maybe a couple of years down the line, you have, you have more options open across the tech ecosystem. If your goal is like, I really want to join a tech startup as a PM, you might not be able to one, find the role that has like a post MBA comp range. Cause I mean, mm -hmm. when you look at the job options that are available for MBAs, it's like consulting, investment banking, you know, private equity, uh, and you see all of these people going into those fields and you're like, well, I don't want to take a job that's like way below the target comp range that I could get if I went to consulting. Um, so that's something I think that can be hard to kind of um, juggle. At the same time, you know, if you know that that's what you want to do and you're willing to take that lower comp job, then you might be able to stretch a little bit more. But also the market knows that MBAs expect a high comp. And so that might kind of sway them away as well. Um, Outside of all of those things, if you're someone who has been working for a couple of years and you want to take a break, you want to travel more, you want to build a massive network of people who are not just your friends, but also like real professional contacts, uh, and you want to blow like hundreds of thousands of dollars, and the great to do that. Describe himself. Wait, right. the network that I call. You did. You <laughs> the network that I call. Like, it's incredible. I mean, some of them are my closest friends today. The friend I told you guys I was catching up with earlier, like, he's one of my closest friends from, from Wharton. Um, and it also helps from a work standpoint. Like, 
you can talk to these people about trends that you're seeing in your own job and they can give you like really insightful feedback. They can give you career advice. Like these are all really smart people. Most of them, most of my classmates, I'm like blown away by like all the different ways that they bring new perspectives and think about things. They're really quick. Um, and they kind of go off into different fields where at least our hope, right, is that in 10, 20 years, all of the decision makers and all the major kind of organizations that I want to interface with, I hope they're all warden people. Because if that's the case, you know, it just makes doing business so much easier. So I have a question for you. I'm curious if you like agree or disagree. And I'm like, I wanted to hear your perspective. From a recruiting standpoint, my, I will say like when I look at someone's resume or profile or what have you, my, I'm always, it's always, is always going to be a case by case scenario, depending on like full breadth of what I see on that resume. But as a general view, I would say, as, obviously, as long as it's relevant, experience is always, I'm hesitant to say always, but I'm going to say it, <laughs> is always going to hold more value. I'll give room for some caveats that probably play in there, but typically going to always hold more value than a degree would because you're you're it's the application of that degree in my eyes that you're is going to provide more value than just the degree itself so i i like the esteem of of experience outweighs a degree in my eyes in a lot of cases but i do think one obviously when you're starting out like having some sort of education, whether it's a degree or a coding camp or some sort of educational foundation to give you that framework to apply to a work setting obviously is going to benefit you. And then from what it sounds like in your case too, if you are trying to make some sort of shift from perhaps the original path you were on, that can also be a value add in giving you, it's almost like other people's perception of giving you the uh, backing, like the educational backing to say, yes, he does have this knowledge to take this like offshoot or different direction from what he was originally on. Do you agree in the sense that experience outweighs education in most settings? And if not, definitely want to hear deeper dive on what your perspective is there. So first, I will say I generally do agree. Mm -hmm. um, I used to recruit when I was at Strategy and I used to recruit MBAs mm -hmm. to join Strategy Ant. Mm -hmm. And the practice that I was in, i.e. like the team that I worked in, we delivered somewhat specific project types. Our clients were all private IP clients. Um, mm -hmm. We used to do diligence of software companies. And so when I'm looking to hire people for my team, I want someone who can diligent the software company. I don't care if you went to Harvard or Stanford or Wharton or any other school, right? And um, were previously like in some completely irrelevant industry. Like it's going to be hard for me to take someone like that and make them a rock star on my team. But 
the flip side is that there's a lot of industries that are really looking for people that don't have like a kind of cookie cutter background. Mm -hmm. And so in a lot of other consulting teams where you get kind of brought in as a generalist, they want people that come from like all kinds of different walks. Like a friend of mine in business school, he used to be a food scientist. Now he works at McKinsey. Uh, and so like McKinsey takes all kinds of people like that, where it's just like they, some of them work for Teach for America. Some of them, you know, um, were in the military before and McKinsey consults for every sector, right? So they can kind of place these people in projects that are kind of relevant. And then over time, you know, you build your consulting skill set and you can kind of tackle a lot of different related industries. I think that's also true in like banking, for example. And so a lot of people that come in with their, with a background that they don't think is going to go directly into like a specific field can kind of pursue those like consulting and banking paths. Uh, but I do think, especially in like tech, for example, one thing I noticed as an MBA recruiting for tech companies or like interviewing for tech companies, uh, is that it's very hard to land an interview unless your pre-MBA experience is also tech. Uh, the biggest exception I would say is Amazon. They will take anyone as long as they kind of go through the process and they can kind of see that they have the right chops. Uh, they I think they're a lot more open to people who weren't in tech beforehand. Interesting. Can you just, um, just in case people don't understand, uh, well, actually everyone listening probably does, but can you one go into your, your consulting experience? Like the time, not don't like tell me your resume, but like the time that you were there and like, how was that? Um, and then also like kind of for someone who might be, who might not understand what consulting is or what exactly the job is. Can you just, you know, mm -hmm. tell them a little bit about what that entails? Yeah. So I worked in technology consulting and strategy consulting, um, kind of under the umbrella term of management consulting, you'll have kind of like tech management and strategy. Uh, and there's a couple others as well, but ultimately at the end of the day, a consultant's job is kind of, you're like a hired hand to go and deliver a project for a client as, um, someone who's coming in with an outside and there's a lot of reasons why clients want that. And I'm not going to go, you know, Wayne's detail there, but, uh, ultimately what your job ends up being is kind of like, you're coming in as an outsider, you're interviewing clients, like stakeholders within the client team. You're trying to solve a problem that they have that they don't think they can solve independently. Um, and that's why they'll bring in a consultant. Maybe it's because they don't have enough staff or, um, or it's like a one-time project, or they want someone who works in the industry before and has seen other outside perspectives. Um, the types of projects can vary a lot. There are projects that go on for like several years where you're helping a company to kind of reorganize the way that they do business. And maybe you're changing up the organization structure and you're thinking about what's the new vision for this org and how do you kind of get there? Uh, and then to go and actually execute on that, it can take years at a large enterprise. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, I've done projects, I've done that. And on the other end of the spectrum, I've done projects where you're asked to do a one week diligence on a target company where the buyer, um, so in like a mergers and acquisition setting, uh, there'll be like a private equity buyer, for example, who's interested in acquiring a software company. Um, they might say, you know, we're pretty bullish on this investment. I just want to make sure there's nothing like hiding under the carpet. 
Uh, they'll bring in the consulting team to literally just kind of kick the tires around a little bit, like ask the most important questions, just do a super quick turnaround. Okay, we think this company is generally good, but you should invest in fixing this one thing, which is totally broken. Um, and so that's the flip side, right? We're like really fast paced projects, smaller teams compared to on larger scale projects you might have. I worked on projects where you have like a hundred people who are delivering a very large scale program. Uh, things move a lot slower and they're more stable, um, but they also take more time. Whereas on a small team, you know, you can move at a hundred miles an hour. You can finish a whole project in just a week, uh, and then turn around to another one. So does that kind of answer, or maybe I, I digress a little I like bit. It. I like it. And don't, not, 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 don't worry about answering the question, but like, just go with, the, go with what you're feeling to say. And if I need more, I'll, <laughs> I promise to ask. Um, okay, like, okay. when it comes to, you know, when it comes to consulting and kind of like what you were saying about like a week and then turning around and going into a new project, how, how difficult was that? Where like, cause I feel like some parts of, of work is like knowing what the next three weeks are going to look like. But like for you, I'm assuming there was times where like every week was a different project or every other week was a different project. What's the, what's that like? And, and, you know, did you enjoy it? Did you not enjoy it? What do you, what, what was that like? There are good things and bad things about that kind of lifestyle. You're definitely right that it does feel a bit different. It's almost like you don't know where you're going to be next week. Like you could be stopped on a project in Arizona or you might be on the bench and just like chilling at home. Uh, it makes it a bit harder to plan things. Like, let's say I want to get dinner with Shubo on Wednesday. Oh, I can't commit. You know, like, <laughs> I don't know. I might not be here. Um but then, you know, so that can be kind of challenging mm. in terms of like having a routine and a schedule. Um, but then the flip side is like everything that you work on is new and interesting, right? And so you don't know what it's going to be, but you know, it's not going to be the same thing that you were doing this week. Uh, and that, that I find to be like really fun and kind of I see as one of the big value props of consulting, right? Is being able to do different types of projects and getting exposure to like different industries and different ways of thinking. Um, how different companies kind of are able to build a business model that actually works. For me, as someone who is like one day hope to be a founder, uh, I thought is really cool, right? Like, oh, someone took this this very niche idea and built a massive business around it. And I never even thought that that type of thing could exist. Like one time I diligenced a company that their whole business is that they would acquire um, healthcare insurance customer leads and then resell them to insurance sellers. So their whole job is just like identifying target people who might want to buy insurance and then applying like a machine learning model to figure out which of these customers, which of these phone numbers is going to generate the most dollars. And then you go and you sell that lead to the highest bidder. Like that's a business. That's a business that I got acquired by like, I think KKR, like insane, right? Um, so. That's, I would say, the cool, the cool side of it. That was so trippy. Jeez. Um, without giving your ideas away, I heard you said you want to be a founder one day. Can you share more? Sure. No, anything um, that's too probing. Well, number one, <laughs> the reason I said one day is because I don't have any good ideas. Uh, or okay, maybe okay, I do okay, and okay. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I do and I don't know it. Um, one thing that I've found you know, I've been in the workforce for like somewhere a little over five years 
And at the end of the day, the people that benefit the most from employee productivity are the owners, right? I mean, they're the ones mm -hmm. that are turning profits. And once you kind of lever to uh, index more on like capital investment versus like, you know, daily wage, that's really the way I think to unlock like a lifestyle where you're really in control. Mm -hmm. And as a founder, like you're, you have to answer to a lot of people like external stakeholders, but at the end of the day, you know, it's your company and you can run it, uh, to some extent, you know, the way that you want to, you can schedule your meetings when you want to, you can take the company in the direction that you think the market is going in or that you think could be cool and interesting. Uh, and that's something that I think at the end, like later on in my career, especially is something that I would want to have is like that kind of flexibility. Um, and I think it would be a pretty cool accomplishment. So I think it's far away. Um, he but says this now, and then in two years, we'll see him and he'll be like, yeah, I know. sorry guys, I couldn't say it out loud because I didn't want anyone stealing my idea. <laughs> oh yeah, I'll, I'll start up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a book that I read called um, Rich Dad Poor Dad. I think it's book. pretty Great popular. What's it about? Popular. I, I like it a lot. And I mean, so much of the book just talks about like, like building a business versus being an employee. Um, and that's, I think that kind of really inspired me to kind of take that to the next level and I'm still working on, you know, getting there, but, um, that's some inspiration. Yeah, Robert Kiyosaki has his early works are really cool right now. He's, he's interesting as, as he's gotten older, but, uh, ESBI and all, all the stuff that he wrote, um, back in the day. I mean, I think Robert, I think, um, Rich Dad Poor Dad's been like one of those books for like four decades that it's been like on top of, you know, self-help and like getting better and stuff. But yeah, great book. Mm. Great book. I haven't heard of it. I'll add it to the list. Oh, yeah. It's wonderful. Um, I have a follow-up question. I, so I, so I've like personally thought about this too, like for my own career path, like do I want to be my own boss or do I want to report up into someone else who's inevitably always making the final call and I have to get their approval for things? I think it also ties into, I'm curious like how you... We were just speaking with someone else this morning to interview for the podcast, and I'm curious how you you work and your career, like in your life, like how how what am I trying to say? How do you how rank you, it um, in your priority list? Yeah, like how do you rank in terms of like priority and how you identify with your work and your career? Mm -hmm. So I'll, for like me myself, I think as of right now. This may definitely change in the future, but I don't think I would want to be a founder because I know that would be like knowing myself, that would be like all in consuming. And I don't want that to take over like who I am and what I do. I'm going to go to a lot of tangents because you have a lot of hobbies too, which I was like shocked about. Um, but <laughs> I'm like curious how you view work and career is to as to who you are as a person knowing like the, the commitment of being a founder yeah <laughs> um i think in the most ideal state whatever i'm doing as a job should be something that i'm passionate about enough to really incorporate it into my life like if i have to take a meeting on a saturday i want to 
want to take the meeting, not yeah, yeah, yeah. be like, oh, you got to like come too. in and take this meeting and my yeah. whole weekend ruined, right? I mean, I think, you know, maybe a lot of us have been there too. Um, but I think that if you're working on something that you're really motivated about and you have, you find a way to make the, make time for the other priorities in your life, it doesn't mean that you need a time box that work to like only nine to five, or I'm only going to put in like 50% of my mental effort. That's because I don't really care that much. Like I would want to be doing something where I do care that much because it's that interesting to me. And I think I can actually make like an impact. That's my philosophy. And so when I kind of pursue founding, uh, I wouldn't want to found something where I don't have that passion. Maybe that's one of the reasons I haven't really like gone after it that aggressively yet is like, I think when you find that or you can kind of work towards that. And sometimes the passion itself is actually just like, I just want to be, create something, right? I mean, that could be passion. Um, that I think is like the ideal state of work-life balance for me. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I think that's where like the sense of ownership comes in, right? Like, because if you're just an employee and you're like, you know, that Saturday meeting is going to be annoying to you no matter what because you're the employee and it's not your it's not your business and you don't be a even, hard pass for me. Yeah, you know <laughs> because at the end of the day, like whatever you're doing, ultimately benefits someone several le- le- layers above you. But when you own it, mm-hmm. when you have that sense of ownership, whether it's you own the business or you have like a lot of equity, one of the other. I mean, there's many different mm-hmm. ways to look at what that means, right? Um, that's that's for sure. Um, yeah, no, I also. I'm with you on the on the founding something thing, but I'm more like uh, bootleg Steve Jobs. Like, don't ask me to do anything technical, but if you want me to like trick your employees yeah. into thinking something really hard is doable, I can bullshit my way into that one for sure. Um, oh, that's boy. that's my forte. Um, his autobiography is actually phenomenal. Not autobiography, his biography. He didn't write it, but he was there. Um, when did you know? Is it becoming coming Steve Jobs? No, it's just called Steve Jobs. Oh. Yeah, it's just called Steve Jobs. It's the same guy that did the. I forget the author. The man name. doesn't need anything else to label his book. No, I, f- I forget. I forget. <laughs> the author name. also did uh, Benjamin Franklin's biography. Um, mm. Yeah, I'll I'll look it up while someone else is talking. But it, it's a tremendous. Um, I I was driving from Dallas to. I was moving from Dallas to uh, New York, and I was driving. And that's what I listened to on the drive, and like it made the drive so, that much easier. Uh, because, yeah. Because I, I related to him, at least for the part where all I only thing I relate to him is he's not technical. Neither am I. That's all I got. Um, and he's has and he founded one of the best tech companies in the history of the world. So, um, but how how long have you actually? No, I want to go back to consulting. I want to know. The, no, the reason I'm I, I well I want to I want to make sure I dive into each part of what you're talking about. And while the questions are in my head, um. Did consulting ever come up in your mind as an option after you've completed your MBA or during your MBA? I think consulting for me, I really liked my time in consulting. Um, I think, you know, some people have a negative experience, some people have a really positive experience. It can depend on just like, you know, what team you end up on, the types of projects you end up doing. Uh, I think I got really lucky in those regards. Like uh, the types of projects I, I was doing, I was really interested in them. I was able to learn a lot, like build my career really quickly. Um, I was a manager at Strategy and before I left. Uh, I had the opportunity to like manage teams like relatively early on in my career, which is something that so today at Amazon, um, 
being a PM, it's a lot, you have a lot less of like a direct team. <clears throat> so that's something that I think consulting especially does really good in terms of training people to be leaders. Not only like, are you leading clients, but you also are leading your own team and like career progressions are very quick. Like you get promoted once every two, three years. Uh, and so you kind of see that there at any time while you're a consultant, right? You're like, oh, I'm only two years away from um, making the next level. So um, you have some motivation there. Whereas like Amazon, for example, you know, it takes five plus years to go from senior product manager to a principal PM. There's a reason for that um, because industry is very different and domain experience matters a lot more. Uh, it does matter as a consultant as you get to the higher stages, but like, you know, there's a reason for that, but it's a little bit different, right? And the motivations for, I think, how people work can be impacted by things like that. Um, yeah, I, I would consider going bad. There are like some things around consulting that can make it more demanding as a job. Like one, the most obvious one is like travel. Most consulting jobs say that you're required to travel 80% of the time. That's like Monday through Thursday, every week of your entire life. I have racked like 400 nights staying in Marriott hotels Holy in my God. lifetime already. I have lived more than one year of my life in a hotel room. Yeah. Uh, wow. And you know, that's not really manageable for a lot of people, right? Yeah. I mean, especially as you get yeah, like for sure. older or more senior, like I feel like depending on the lifestyles that you choose, like even for me right now, my dog would be pissed, man. My dog's mad when I when I like go to go to go into the office. Imagine I'm I'm, I'm I mean, I wouldn't do that to him. I'd probably take him with me. I'd road trip it from New York to California. I love that. Um no, Yeah, funny. exactly. So I mean, you know, there's there's other things you got to consider. I do think that type of work is really interesting and if you find the right team, like there's a lot of cool things you can do and you can build a really interesting career there. Uh just need to kind of think about how it would impact kind of the rest of your life. And you know, we're talking a little about work-life balance before, like that's definitely an area that, I mean, I think you can still do it and I've seen yeah. people do it. Uh, you just have to be really intentional and like, and set boundaries early, which is probably true for any job. Max, that's what's, a really what's good your call out. Yeah. I think it really just depends on the person. Oh yeah. And I was gonna say, what's your work-life balance like right now? Cause you have a shit ton, uh, of, I, you have a shit I, ton I, of hobbies. All... Like you have like all the, all the hobbies. <laughs> Like literally all. Well, I did. Like, when does he I did sleep? Spend, uh, I did spend two years uh, just like trying a bunch of different hobbies. Uh, MBA is a great time to like really explore your interests. One of the best things I think about being an MBA is that you can basically do whatever you want, right? Like it's like a two-year vacation where you're progressing your career, but at the same time, like you can focus on any aspect of your life that you want to and build it up. So, oh, wait, wait, I'm gonna stop you right life, there. Yeah, I'm gonna fun. stop you right there. This is how you know he's smart as shit. Because he called MBA a vacation. I know there's people in business school right now in tears, right? That are like, what are you talking about? They're doing it to themselves. <laughs> They're doing it to themselves. Well, no, it depends. At Warden, we have grade non-disclosure, which means if you want to care about your academics, you can. But, you know, you don't have to get an A in every class. <laughs> what the heck? This is, that's Wait. amazing. Okay. That's On wild. your hobbies, you had like, you were learning new languages. Pokemon. I'm pretty sure there was some musical element in there. <laughs> Traveling. You'd been to like 36 countries. I literally was reading through. I was like, literally, when do you sleep? I love sleeping, actually. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it was awesome. Do you want me to like? Tell us about some more of your hobbies. Um, sure. 
Well, let's see. Like most, most recently, most recently, I signed up for an improv class. So I'm taking improv 101 on Wednesdays. And this kind of ties into like work-life balance at Amazon. Like I don't have to travel in my job at Amazon mm-hmm. today. Um, the hours are fairly consistent and predictable. And um, I can sign up for an improv class at 7.30 every Wednesday and make it every time, which is awesome. So I've been taking that. The showcase is coming up in like two weeks. Oh so God, I invited so some of my friends. Uh, can they record I, it? Oh, funny. They talked about recording it, which is not something that I would want. No, <laughs> but I, I need I to see this. Up. <laughs> but I mean, improv class is super fun. Like um, everyone, you know, everyone who signed up for an improv class is kind of coming from a place of like positivity and fun. And I don't think you would sign up for an improv class if you don't think you're at least like a little bit funny. Um, so all of them are like super funny and they have different personalities. And it's also a great way to kind of expand my like Seattle friend circle beyond mm-hmm. just like other MBAs or people who work at Amazon. Um, so that's really great. I feel like not that this is even probably the reason you did it, but I feel like an improv class like the foundational skills of that would 100% benefit you in your job. Yeah, It is actually, I would say like all over like different aspects of my life, super beneficial. Yeah. Like just being able to kind of th- literally think on your feet. Like that's yes. what you have to do. at yeah. concert. Like shift, um, adapt. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. like, and work in a collaborative setting where mm-hmm. your, I mean, my instructor always says, your job is to make everyone else on stage look good. And mm-hmm. if you can just do that, you're probably doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Are you going to add that deep. on your resume now? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> like, maybe, maybe I'm running out of space, so I could cut one of the other things. <laughs> I, I know how to make the people around me look good. Hashtag improv. <laughs> but that's, that, that's kind of deep, though, right? Like improv in other, other parts of your life. It's like, wow. That's, that's... Yeah, I mean, there's just so many applications. I mean, yeah. And like, for example, like I like to play music and recently I kind of got into like doing some songwriting, like, you know, coming up with rhymes and like things that kind of sound interesting, but are also relatable. Like that sounds so very like improv-y. Uh, and so I kind of found that like after I got some improv classes, like, wow, like I can like kind of think of things in different ways and kind of use your brain muscles that you maybe don't use on an everyday basis. Mm-hmm. Like that helps the creative juices. Too. Yeah. It's like something so drastically different. That's really cool. That sounds fun. I'm like, it's weird. I like, I enjoy punishing myself in the sense that I enjoy public speaking, but it makes me nervous as shit in like any form. So like, I feel like that's how I would feel with improv. I would probably be like sweating profusively and want to cry, but then it would be fun at the same time. Yeah. I mean, some of the people who sign up, like, so when we, when we, when I went to day one class, one of the things the instructor asked us is like, okay, so like, what was your motivation for mm. coming to improv? And mm. so, some of the people said that they just wanted to get better at like speaking in front yeah. of a large audience. Yeah. And it really does work, you know, because over time, you're uh, the way we do our classes, we do the classes on stage. So it's as if you are, and it's actually on their like production stage. So it's mm. like as if you are actually performing to an audience. One of the first things I noticed is like, most of these stages, they have like really bright lights coming in from like the front facing you. You can't even see the audience and they kind of teach you to look behind the audience. Mm. So I don't know how it's going to go in a few weeks when there actually are people there. 
Um, but normally when I'm up on the stage, like I don't even, I don't even notice like who's sitting there and I don't even see their reactions. I'm just all into the performance side. Yeah. That is so, so cool. Um, I, I don't have, I had an offshoot question, Puba. So if you have a relevant question. No, no, question, go, 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 go. There's no the... rules here. It's almost like improv. Okay. 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 Oh, the only rule is always say yes. Yes. And. Yes. And. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did an improv class once like forever ago, but I'm pretty sure we all were terrible. Anyways, the COS Mastermind Network, is that consulting? It's a cheap up staff network. What? Tell me more about that. Uh, okay. More about that. Yeah. So the, the interview I did over the summer, 2021 summer, while I was an MBA student, um, was at a startup that was incubated by a primary venture partners. They're a VC fund based out of New York. Shuba, maybe, maybe you've heard of them. One of their big things is like they invest in New York companies. Uh, they across across different sectors from tech to like CPG. Uh, I assume do all kinds of different stuff, healthcare. Um, and they have been putting together a network, kind of trying to connect people who work in similar industries or perform similar functions to kind of build a community, you know, and, and especially when you're at a startup, like if you're, for example, a chief of staff, or someone whose job is like you're a jack of all trades and chief of staffs come in a lot of different varieties, right? Like some are focused on building out a team and doing more like talent work early on. I mean, mostly what I, what I find is that early stage companies, the chief of staff job is like you do, you wear the ads that no one else is like formally wearing. Mm -hmm. uh, and then over time, as the company grows, you can take that hat and place it on the person that you hired to take that job. Um, and you can kind of see that role change as the company gets bigger. But Ultimately, I mean, it's a very like self-starting role where you get direction from leadership and they're like, hey, we need to together. For example, like when I was at Startup with that, uh, I helped to put together kind of like a recruiting strategy. Like how do we hire our first couple of engineers to help build the technology platform that we were making? Um, they're like, we need someone to help like create a plan around that and then manage that plan. Uh, and so... When I was at that company, I got connected to the chief of staff network. Um, and there are other chief, chief of staff from other startups of, you know, varying size who you could kind of tap into and say, Hey, I'm working on this uh, recruiting strategy. Does anyone have any like reference material of like certain types of job descriptions or a plan? How can I think about, you know, asking the right questions? Um, there's all kinds of different things that you might wonder. Uh, and so it kind of helps you tap into that. And the network actually has gotten a lot stronger recently. Uh, there, there's some corners within the VC fund that they put in a lot of effort to invest in different programming and bringing in speakers and um, doing things like that, that really kind of helps you get some value out of it and extend your knowledge base beyond just what you can find in your own network. Yeah, that's so cool. And that makes me think too of what you were talking about, like one of the benefits of getting your master's where what I think I already know the answer to this but I'm gonna say anyways what value do you see in the importance of networking because in, in my eyes sometimes networking can play a larger role in you getting your next job than your actual skill set simply based on access I think networking I think networking matters uh, I think the amount that it matters can vary based on what your job role is and what types of skills are most important in that role. In the world of like business, networking is super important. A lot of jobs that are like 
the most coveted roles are already staffed before it even goes to any sort of like, you know, public auction, right? Like, oh, I know a guy who would be a great fit for this job. Let's just put him into the process early. If we like him, we just hire that person, right? Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a seat at the table, then those roles are totally out of reach. So that's one, I mean, from a career progression perspective. But the other thing on the business side is like having a strong network can also help you stay on top of the market and have access to experts in different fields. So in the MBA world, I mean, one of the things that I think most grad school, most business schools try to do is build a diverse set of students, people who come from different industries, different countries, different job roles. And let's say, for example, if I was a consultant and I get staffed on a project where I need to diligence like a dairy dairy farm company or something, yeah. like, you know, like, I don't know anything about dairy farms, but I tell you what, one of my friends who lives in Seattle is a dairy veterinarian. So I can just go ask him, right? Um, like it's some like random stuff like that, where if you're looking for certain knowledge in like some random field, like having a, a network from an MBA program can really help with that. Uh, and I've also done the other way where like, if I'm trying to find a job in a certain industry, there are probably people in my MBA program, and especially I was doing this while I was a student, who came from that industry. So they can tell me all the inside stuff, right? Like, where's the industry going? What kind of skills are important? How can I prepare for this type of thing? And odds are they probably also have a pretty big network in that industry too. So they could kind of help you find those roles as well. Yeah, I totally agree. That's such a good point. Um, Follow-up question that will be like the opposite of your experience. So I'm just curious for your perspective. I think obviously there's so much um, privilege that comes into getting an education that can provide you access to networks and open doors that a lot of people may not have access to. If if someone wasn't able to go and get a master's or get a degree, what would you recommend as another route or steps that they could take to get to the same end? Hmm. Um, you know, it probably... Great answer. It always depends, right? So it probably depends on, you know, what your goal is, but maybe one piece of advice or suggestion I would have is just like looking at communities that are interested in the thing that you're interested in. So whether that's like a digital community or a Discord server or a LinkedIn group, or like an in-person community that meets up in like a makerspace in New York City, like those are ways that you can, you know, kind of join that community, build the skill set around the thing that you're interested in, learn yeah. from experts. And I mean, I think, you know, it takes investment, right? Like you need to show up consistently and participate. Uh, but I think that's one way that you could like kind of start that journey. You might not get the deal at the same rate, yeah. but, you know, it's something. Yeah, totally. Thank you. So what... um. Wow, we've actually talked about a lot of cool stuff. So I'm going to say, could you tell me if you were going to give advice to someone who, let's say, is in high school right now and they, let's take it step by step. So first things first, let's say like um, going into college, how would one go about getting a job in consulting and not just get any job in consulting, but get one that would be rewarding? Let's that was not phrased well, but you know what I mean. Is that a, is that a thinly veiled? Uh... <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, how 
If you were a high school student, how would you plan your college career to break into consulting? Is that? Yeah, I don't, I don't want to say high school student because that's not. So let's say, okay, so let's say you're in college, okay? And you're and you're like, you know what? Consulting seems cool. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to do. And you're they're not seniors yet. So they still have stuff to do yeah. between now and then. Take us through it. A lot of colleges have like student consulting groups. So, you know, that's one path where if, if you put in enough effort, sometimes you have to like, you know, kind of try out for the group and kind of show that you have some set of chops. But, you know, if you can dedicate the time to prepare for something like that, or maybe you already have a network that can kind of connect you to the right organization, that's one path that I've seen a lot of my peers in undergrad take where they can get some like real life consulting experience. I mean, normally the projects are more like your local community, um, but the style is similar. And then it's some experience that you can really leverage in an interview or put on your resume uh, and make you stand out. The other thing I would say is like having relevant academic experience would be good. Um, So if you're an engineer, think about doing a business minor, for example, and it's not just going to help by showing up on your resume, but also like when you go into a consulting case interview, just because you know microeconomics, you're going to have an easier time doing like a profitability case, right? Um, So those are a couple things you can do. And the last one I would say is networking is really important in consulting. I don't know how much that has changed like post pandemic in a world of like virtual interviewing and things like that. You know, when I was an undergrad, a lot of consulting firms will have like invite only happy hour or um, they will, they'll keep a list of students that they're kind of interested in and they might send you an email saying, hey, you can attend like this thing or, hey, this application is going to come out in a few days in case you're interested. So you want to kind of be on those lists, right? And to get there, um, one thing that a lot of people do is like, I mean, if you're really lucky, you can leverage a network that you already have and you have folks that like are, you know, you or their classmates and they graduated and went on to some of these companies. That's one path. Uh, But you can even just do like cold LinkedIn outreach, look for um, people that have a similar background to you who are now at a target consulting firm, um, try to set up a coffee chat with them. And for me now, as someone who kind of works in the industry, I'm always super impressed when I see undergrads from my um, uh, undergrads from my engineering college, like messaging me on LinkedIn saying, hey, I want to learn more about like business school or Amazon. Like there's just so few people who are doing that. Just so everyone knows, like, there are some few people who are doing that, that I'm like, okay, this guy knows what he wants out of his career. He's looking for insight that is very hard to get as a student. And as long as, you know, you have a distant amount of similarity to them, I always accept requests like that. And I make time for that. And I guess I think that was something that when I was a student really helped me to kind of even just learn more about what, what is consulting? Like, am I going to like that? Um, and how do I prepare? You can ask them. Yeah, you know, me and Fern and I have spoken about this before, but like people want to help, right? Like in in terms of if you go out and just talk to people, maybe not everyone, but I would say most people, if you are making a good case for it or if you're making, if you're actually saying something better than, hey, what's up? If you're actually putting thought (laughs) into your message, uh, most people are very, very interested in helping one way or another. You might even just get, hey, I'm busy this month, hit me back next month or something. Um, But I think, yeah, like Sanjit just said, people 
don't do it a lot. And if you do it, you're going to get some result out of it. Yeah. I mean, and, and the one, out. the one caveat or not caveat, but one like thing I'll emphasize is that you want to show and emphasize your connection to that person and try to stir some sort of emotional response. Mm -hmm. Like they read the message. They're like, oh man, that really reminds me of like what I was like when I was an undergrad or like, oh, this Can you give an example? going above and beyond. But for example, like there was a student that reached out to me. Um, he is a junior at University of Illinois where I went to undergrad and he is in a leadership position in engineering open house, which is a large student run kind of volunteer community event that takes place over a weekend where um, university brings in students from all over like the Illinois state. I think it's attended by like 30,000 people. Uh, and then engineering organizations will put on like different exhibits and it's just like a you know, see all the cool stuff that we're doing. This is what engineering is all about. And this drives a lot of interest towards like STEM in general. Um, I used to be on that committee when I was in, uh, when I was a student at Illinois. And so when this student reached out to me, he was like, Hey, like, I, uh, I want to kind of talk to you about what was engineering open house. Like when you were a student, like, you Pulling know, people, there. yeah, people right. love to talk about themselves. Right. <laughs> don't we all yeah. don't at least we you all? know that's yeah. at least you know that about yourself okay i mean it's true right don't I mean, we it's all? a pretty so... common human trait <laughs> yeah so like when he reached oh, out to man. me you know like that really worked for me right and i mean if, if instead he had sent a message that was like hey i'm a student at illinois can you chat like that's you know i mean yeah it's it, okay but it might not put me over the edge yeah Totally. All right. So kiss ass is what Sanjeet's saying. Oh, That's actually a pretty, I would say is actually a pretty good tactic. <laughs> Don't be shy. Don't be shy and be persistent. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, I do want to stick with the whole like experience thing I was, I was uh, getting at earlier. Um, before you, you said that when it came to tech and MBAs, they looked like a lot of, a lot of companies look at your tech experience prior to getting in the MBA. So would you say that someone coming out of undergrad should definitely work before getting an MBA or is it okay for them to just jump into the MBA right after? Because some people do either, uh, but for specifically for tech, um, what, what do you think? Um, one, I don't know if there is really a nuance between what, whether it's important for tech versus other industries. So I'll give more of a general answer, which is like, I think almost everyone who goes to business school should have some work experience. Um, part of the reason is, you know, the median age for students who matriculate at Warden is 27. And if you're a 22 year old joining me at Warden, you're going to be in a little bit of a different stage of life than people who've been working for a couple of years. Um, the other thing is like, I get a lot of value from the experiences of my classmates. So if my classmate is someone who hasn't worked in the industry at all anywhere uh, or hasn't, you know, it doesn't have to be like work, right? It could be like they volunteered internationally for five years. Um, if there isn't something kind of interesting that they can bring to the table, kind of makes you wonder what you would get out of that relationship. And, you know, I don't, I, I am not like the kind of person that only like builds relationships with people that I think like are going to like be a creative in my business life. Yeah. I, I mean, like you ask any, I mean, it is, it is business school. <laughs> after all, so like, you would know that, you know? but 
like, especially in school, right? Like if you're working on a project, I want someone on my team who can build a slide and build an Excel model. And maybe they actually know something about this industry, or at least someone in the team might know. Uh, and so if you only have academic experience, I think it's hard to bring that industry lens. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of things you learn once you enter the workforce or once you leave college, right? Life is very different after college that you wouldn't be able to kind of have that shared kind of life journey uh, or share that kind of experience if you go directly. Uh, and the last thing is, I don't know how common it is for folks to go to business school right out of undergrad, but I think it's very hard to get admitted. And mm. it's probably more likely that you would want to apply for like a two plus two type program. Like I think Harvard and Stanford have these and a lot of other schools have started doing it where you can apply while you're an undergrad uh, and they'll even accept you, but they'll say, we'll accept you, but you got to come after like two years. Oh, um, that. So, that, mm -hmm. so that way you can get some of that work experience too, while already kind of having the plan for when you're going to go back to school. The only time I think where going immediately after undergrad would be, would be an easier sell is if you started a business while you were an undergrad and maybe you took like a year off just to work on that. Um, like if you're coming from a non-traditional background where you're not just like, I just, you didn't just like do four years of economics and then apply to business school. Like that, I don't think that would ever work. Right. But other, other backgrounds, maybe you can make a look. No, no. Yeah, it's definitely hard. A lot of business schools like require uh, two years. I just wanted to ask the question, um, but no, yeah, that's that's absolutely solid. And then, actually, you know, Fran, you go because I've just asked. You've like, asked all of mine. Work. I'm, I'm tapped out. <laughs> so keep okay, going. okay. So, but then, I'll, 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 okay, I have a couple. So I have one that is like random AF, but this is a question that I want to ask. Uh, what would 15-year-old Sanjeet think of your current career and your journey? And that's just something that I wanted to ask because I feel like, so from from my perspective, uh, for everyone else's context, uh, growing up, Sanjeet, at least when he was with family, was relatively shy-ish. And he like, well, when he was really young, he was very shy, like insanely shy. And then he, he grew up and it was normal. But then, you know, he's doing improv, he's singing songs, playing guitar, traveling all this bunch. Uh, so yeah, 15-year-old Sanjeet. What is uh what is he thinking about your career and your and your journey? Fifteen year old Sanjeet would be like I think would be very surprised with where I am today. Uh I was like a hardcore engineer. I love to build stuff. And I think if he saw that I had spent virtually zero time as an engineer, she would be like, dude, like what, what is this, right? And he might wonder, like, how could that have happened? And I don't think that 15-year-old me would have had any of the experiences that kind of, you know, um, motivated me to make that shit. That's one, probably, maybe one of these things. I love it. I love it. Um, right. Uh, we, you want to do the uh, Dear Tech FAQs? Sure. Okay. Um, we do a rapid fire kind of DTP FAQ to wrap up every session, Sanjeet. So I'll go through all of them. Um, as much as you want to elaborate, feel free. Um, but kicking off, what is the best advice you have ever received from someone? When I was in business school, one of my, my friends um, 
not exactly advice. I would say she taught me the art of persistency. Like the idea that if you really want something, you better like stick your neck out for it. And it can feel very like uncomfortable to send that fourth email to a recruiter <laughs> or like spend a bunch of time hunting on the internet for someone's email address and then like mm -hmm. cold emailing what may or may not be an email or cold calling someone. But what I've kind of learned from her is that where you are today, obviously, no, this is a bit of an exaggeration, but like where you are today, if you're trying to like bridge some connection, you have nothing, right? And so the only way you can really go is up. And I think that's helped me a lot to kind of like come out of the comfort zone mm. of like the awkwardness of the social interaction where you're really like self-advocating and promoting yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's helped me to kind of like really put my best foot forward and not feel bad if I'm like tooting my own horn. Because, I mean, you got to self-advocate and, you know, I don't want to be selfish, but in the job world and the career world, like, so everyone else is doing it. So you better do it. Yeah. I think that's so, I think that's like a really good point and call it. I know for people who are like introverted or maybe not as comfortable with like public seeking or like advocating for themselves, I think it, it's harder, but I think it's a necessary skill to be. And no one, I, yeah, it's like. No one is going to pick up on that one tiny bullet on your resume or two words unless you actually go out of your own way and start talking about it in an mm -hmm. interview. Like, you don't have to always answer their question. Like, you should just tell them what they want to hear. Have your own script. Yeah. <laughs> no, no what, what was the, there was, I forget, it was a movie or a show. It's like, never answer their questions. Answer the question that you want them to ask. Yeah, them. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh my God. I, I can't, I cannot remember. It was like he was running for president or something. Or like governor, and he just would never answer the question that he was that they were asked. Um, just go totally right. off track with your own script. <laughs> Love yeah. it, thank you. Um, what is a favorite quote or saying you have? Hmm. Quote or saying? And I really don't have one. The closest thing I would say is. There is a book called The Alchemist. Mm. I don't know if you guys have heard it. So good. It's popular. It's a very like self-reflection focused, like kind of like a little surreal type book. It's super short too. There is a lot of amazing quotes in that book. Like if I open up my Kindle, half the book is highlighted. Like it's incredible. Like, and they're like inspiring. They like, you can kind of take them in different ways. The bad news is I can't think of a single one of them right now. <laughs> You're good. Go read The Alchemist. <laughs> That's a takeaway. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, what is the best thing you've ever been gifted? It doesn't have hmm. to come from Shubo. <laughs> I've never given him a damn thing. <laughs> but the one life. time that Shubo let me play his Game Boy, that was like a huge, Aww, I mean. how nice. Dragon Ball Z. I played the whole game while I was done. Oh yeah, <laughs> I remember that. That was no because I spent my whole life playing his Game Boy, Aww. like him and his brother's Game Boy. So the one time he didn't bring it, I, I let him play. So there it is. That's uh, that, that. love it. No, no, that's. I wasn't. I wasn't trying to Come lead on. you to Shubo there. Okay, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> no, I received a lot of great gifts. I would say one is that when I was a lot younger. Um, 
my girlfriend gifted me a ukulele. And like, no, oh. ukulele, not Wait, that's a expensive. hobby of yours. That was on your yes. hobby list, right? That's they're not cool. super expensive, but they're like super accessible. There's only four strings. If you play any like guitar-like instrument, like it's pretty easy to pick up. You can take it anywhere. I still have it. And I mean, you know, it's been like 10 plus years. That's so cool. I love that. Um, what is a guilty pleasure of yours? Uh, I love baking and I live alone. So love that. I eat a lot of. <laughs> what did you bake most recently? Uh, recently, I baked these like dark chocolate orange brownies. Oh my! And God. it's like you taste like a from scratch um, brownie mm-hmm. recipe, and you add in like a concentrated orange juice. Yeah. And maybe use just the oranges, and it just makes this like. Damn. It, I mean, I love the orange flavor too. So, like, an orange and chocolate so go really well together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you didn't. Ooh, that sounds so I'm a good. sweets fanatic. So that sounds delicious. Okay, I'm getting these after this. Um, yeah. Last one. What is one piece of advice you would give someone who is trying to get into your field? Man, that's so hard because, like, advice <laughs> in general is not broadly, in, yeah. you know. No, probably applicable. And I already gave some good advice earlier, I think, around like persistence and self-advocacy. Okay. That's probably what I would have said. That works. <laughs> Perfect. What's the best advice you've received? It's the one I'm about to tell you. <laughs> stay persistent. Right? That's essentially what you Yeah, you got to spread the love. Yeah, stay persistent and advertise for um, yourself. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. All right, so Sanjeet, uh, wrapping up, anything you want to add? Any final final message to the world? Anything you want to say? Um, there is not like any, you know, <laughs> burning, itching thing that I wanted to get out. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine he had a declaration at the end of something completely. Yeah, crypto is dead. Oh, God. Crypto, crypto. Did, did you say that? Out loud? All right, that's going on there. That's going on there. All right. I'm not editing that out because we're still recording. <laughs> um, all right. So you heard it here. Uh, no, thank you so much. Thank you. It was, this has been a lot of fun. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, this is incredible. And, uh, all right. Awesome. Thanks.